Welcome to the Mana Bible Lessons Podcast. Mana is a Bible study life group that meets at Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. However, if you're listening from another part of the world, then we welcome you and we invite you to stay tuned after the lesson to hear how you can submit your prayer request to be on our prayer sheet. Thank you for joining us, and now... I also teach a class here at Valley at 9.30. Uh, I've got my sub teaching right now, actually. He was scheduled to teach anyway, so it worked out very well. Um, And in our class, we're going through the 12 disciples. And it's a series that I've titled Men of Destiny. Um, It was actually inspired on a trip that we had uh, across the the Atlantic in Ireland. A pastor was talking about some of the 12 disciples. And I was like, you know what? That would be a really good lesson series. So normally we go through the Bible. We go through a book of the Bible verse by verse. But I gave him a little bit of a break. And we've been doing this topical thing. Because we just, before this, we had just finished the first 11 chapters of Genesis which was very deep and involved and lots of questions and lots of controversy. So we went with something a little bit lighter. Um, But I still think this is a really good series and I hope you guys get something out of it. Uh, This week, make sure I got my directions right. Okay, I do have my directions right. This, uh, in a previous week, we studied Andrew. That's a list of the disciples there with the uh, Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. So we studied Andrew. Now, Andrew's an interesting guy. Andrew is, and I have up there that he's one of the big four. Jesus had his inner circle, right? He had his 12 disciples, but he also had an inner circle within an inner circle. And you could even argue an even further inner circle than that. But he had four that were closer to him than the other eight. And those were two sets of brothers. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee. Andrew was a part of this big four. But even though he was a member of this leading group of disciples, he always was kind of in the background. Andrew, as we will see, is in the background frequently, especially compared with his brother, Peter. Peter, I read a book recently by John MacArthur on the 12 disciples, and he calls Peter the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter sometimes didn't know when to be quiet. Andrew, on the other hand, sometimes doesn't speak maybe when sometimes we think he should. He's definitely much more quiet and much more reserved. And we will find out that there are some events that occur in scripture that include the other three big members of the big four, Peter, James, and John, but do not include Andrew. But there's no question that he and Jesus had a close relationship. We will see there's a couple of examples today in Scripture where people come to Christ because of Andrew, Andrew's effort. Andrew loved to lead people to the Lord. He wasn't necessarily a great orator, Uh, He wasn't necessarily a a dynamic speaker like his brother, wasn't always out there trying to to be at the lead and at the forefront and pushing things along, but he loved to go out and talk to individual people and lead them to Christ. As we shall see, one of the people that he leads to Jesus is his brother Peter. And when you think about it, he and Peter, you know, I'm sure many of us have siblings in here, and there's always little bits of sibling rivalry, and It's amazing how 
two kids from the same parents can have such completely different personalities uh, and different interests. And Peter and Andrew were no different. Uh, Peter was loud. He was brash. Andrew was quiet, more reserved, and in my opinion, and I think we'll see that today, more thoughtful. Not that Peter was, was dumb, but Peter sometimes would just verbally vomit when he was uncomfortable, whereas Andrew would kind of sit back and take things in and be more thoughtful and more reflective. I like the meaning of names. I think it's interesting. And the, main, the meaning of the name Andrew actually means manly. If you see Pastor Andrew later on, you can call him Pastor Manly and see what kind of, see what kind of reaction he has. He might feel uncomfortable. But the name literally means manly. And this is fitting for Andrew in, in a number of ways. First of all, he was a fisherman. And then fishing wasn't, you know, the relaxing thing that sometimes we see it today. It was more like the deadliest catch, where you're throwing nets overboard and pulling up fish out. And it was a very labor-intensive job. And people who were fishermen probably were pretty pretty powerfully built guy, strong back, strong shoulders, strong arms. So in that way, Andrew could be perceived as manly. But he also had some other traits that we might call manly. He was very decisive. He had a desire for the truth. And he took the initiative, and we will see that. He and his brother Peter were both from a town called Bethsaida. At some point, we don't know when, because scripture doesn't tell us, they moved to the city of Capernaum which is on the northern portion of the Sea of Galilee. And Capernaum was an interesting place. Uh, it was a major trade route. And so it was also a good place to be a fisherman. There was lots of fish, plentiful fish in the sea, and business people came through for trade. They were probably lifelong, or at least longtime, companions of the other set of brothers, James and John, who were also fishermen in Capernaum. I normally have a clicker in my other class, but I'm using a mouse, so I have to make sure I'm going the right direction so you guys aren't confused when I start talking about stuff. Um, okay, so what else can we learn about Andrew? All the four major big inner circle apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, had a desire to be leaders. We see this throughout the Gospels. Uh, there are some accounts that are more detailed than others. Uh, they argued a lot about who was going to be the best. They were to kind of, I, I think it's funny when we read things like that in scripture, it shows us that they were indeed human uh, because they were walking around with the Lord of the universe, but they were like, which one's going to be the most awesome follower of the Lord of the universe? It's going to be me. No, it's going to be me. But Andrew doesn't really ever seem to get involved in those kinds of conversations. He had a desire to be a leader, but he didn't have to be the greatest. He wasn't concerned about being the greatest. He just wanted to serve his Lord to the best of his ability. He has mentioned, Andrew, a total of nine times in the four Gospels, uh, which is relatively small compared to some of the others. Peter, for example, is mentioned more in the Gospels than any other person besides Jesus. Andrew's only mentioned nine times, and that's nine times apart from the lists. There are lists that list all the disciples in the Gospels and have them all by name, like a baseball roster sheet almost. But Andrew's mentioned nine times other than that. He lived in the shadow of his more famous brother, which sometimes you think would breed hostility between siblings. If you got a sibling that's the favored one or the more famous one or the more successful one. But Andrew doesn't seem to have mind, minded. Maybe he even preferred it. 
he never seems like he is upset or jealous about Peter's stance. And he's the one who led Peter to Jesus, as we will see. And he did it knowing full well what his brother was like. I'm sure Peter didn't become a loudmouth as soon as he became a follower of Christ. He didn't know when to shut up, probably from the very beginning. But Andrew still was like, you know what? My brother needs to know Jesus. My brother, even though he's a loudmouth, needs salvation too. And he brought Peter in, probably knowing that once Peter showed up, he was going to be second fiddle. At the very least to Peter, let alone some of the other disciples. But we'll see that's a theme in Andrew's life. Andrew leads people to Christ. Whenever Andrew acts alone in Scripture, it's usually him doing something good. Sometimes we see the other disciples in Scripture, like Peter. Uh, I keep coming back to Peter because he messed up a lot. God bless him. But he lets us know that we can mess up and keep going, right? Because Peter Peter gives us a good example. Um, But other disciples like Philip. Philip in the Last Supper, Peter just, or excuse me, Jesus just gets done explaining to Philip that he's the Son of God, that he is the Christ, and then Philip basically asks a question like, well, just show us the Father, just show us God and we'll believe, and Jesus is like, what do you think I've been telling you for like the last 20 minutes, Philip? But Andrew, every time he does something in the Gospels, it's something admirable, an example to us. And there's a couple of times that he and Philip are compared and contrasted, and we'll see that too. He was also one of the first two disciples to be called to Jesus. As we'll see here in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, it says, Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And as we will see, bringing people to Jesus is going to be a dominant theme in the life of Andrew. There we go. So John records this event in his gospel as an eyewitness because he was the other disciple who was there. There were two disciples, and he just mentions one by name, Andrew. John was not really a humble guy, but he liked to keep the focus on Jesus. And so when he talks to him about himself in his own gospel, he never refers to himself by name. But he mentions that Andrew is there, and he calls him Andrew, the son of the brother of Simon Peter. There are a number of times, several times in the Gospels, where that's how Andrew is referred to. He's Andrew, the brother of Peter. Like, that alone is what makes him a significant human being, is that he's Peter's brother. This encounter took place a few months after the baptism of Jesus. Sometimes when we read the gospel accounts, we tend to think that these events just go boom, 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 one right after the other. But actually, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and it was a few months later that the disciples started to be called to him for him to begin his earthly ministry. And John the Baptist is sitting there with his disciples, his buddies, 
And he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And they immediately leave John and go and follow Jesus. And it seems kind of messed up just to leave John chilling out there in the wilderness with his camel hair shirt. But that's what John would have wanted. Because John said himself, he quoted the prophet Isaiah in saying that he was a forerunner of Jesus. He was a forerunner of the Messiah. So the moment the Messiah is there, John the Baptist, his follower, his disciples leave him. And John's like, okay, cool. That's awesome. That's why I was here. And now you guys are doing what I want you to do. I think it's kind of cool that it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. The Jewish work, it says it was the 10th hour. And the Jewish workday began at 6 a.m. So about four o'clock in the afternoon would be the 10th hour. The Jewish people were early risers. They probably didn't have daylight savings time ending that's messed up a lot of us up this morning. <laughs> I had somebody show up in my class earlier that was like, oh my gosh, I thought it was 30 minutes late, but they were 30 minutes early. Um, but it's about four o'clock in the afternoon and they go and they follow Jesus. It says John and Andrew go and follow Jesus and they spend the afternoon with them, which has got to be a pretty cool experience. Of all the 12 disciples, those two got to spend some quality time with Jesus, just the two of them before all the craziness is going to start, right? And then what does Andrew do right after that? He goes and finds his brother Peter. He goes and finds a person who is probably one of the most important people, if not the most important person in the world to him, and leads him to Christ. Andrew goes from disciple to missionary in very little time. From disciple to evangelist in very little time. But this was not yet the beginning of Andrew and John and Peter. It wasn't the beginning yet of their full-time discipleship. It would be a few months after that. Got a couple of different items up here I have to tap, so it takes me a few seconds. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Again, Andrew is the brother of Simon Peter, like he's not a big deal. Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So this is the call of the disciples to full-time ministry. Oh, went too far. There we go. Again, this is probably a few months after Andrew and John went and followed Jesus in the wilderness. These things don't happen necessarily one right after the other. There's a little period of time in between it. But Jesus finally is ready for them. He's started to kind of recruit them. He's planted the bug in their ear. And now he's going and saying, come with me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I can imagine these four guys have just been waiting, chomping at the bit for when the Messiah is going to come around and ask them to come and, and go to work. And finally he has. And so it says immediately they leave their nets and follow Jesus. James and John lead, lead their dad in the boat. I imagine they don't even say bye to him. They're just like, all right, they leave. And their dad's probably really confused about what's happening. And again here, he's referenced as being just the brother of Peter. In fact, this same account is covered in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus goes and calls the disciples to become fishers of men. And Luke doesn't even mention Andrew. We know he was there because Matthew mentions him. But Luke apparently doesn't think that it's important enough to mention that Andrew was there. So again, we see this process of Andrew being in the background. Even though he was one of the first people to be called by Jesus, he's in the background. 
He lived his whole life in Peter's shadow, but he appears to have accepted that. In many ways, I think that Andrew is actually more of an example for many of us to follow. We're not all going to be Billy Graham. We're not all going to be Pastor Roger or Pastor Phil, you know, speaking in front of crowds of hundreds and thousands. Most of us are going to serve the Lord in the church in just is going to be humble servitude. Without many eyes watching us, we're just going to be doing the day-to-day tasks that we need to do for the church and in service of Christ. And that's how Andrew was. Andrew wasn't Billy Graham. He wasn't like Peter, who's going to preach. You know, at the day of at Pentecost, Peter's going to preach to a crowd of thousands. Andrew, we never have any account of that. But Andrew even though he doesn't have this public role, we see a servant with an eager heart wanting to serve his Lord, even though he's doing it in the background and in the shadows. In fact, I think there are some times that we see in Scripture that because Andrew's not always ready to be out there and, and, you know, we've all been in class with that student who wants to be the first to raise their hand and give the answer to be the teacher's pet and impress the teacher. Andrew wasn't like that. Andrew wasn't rushing to give an answer like Peter always was. And I think because of that, sometimes Andrew was more reflective and more insightful and understood some things when some of the other disciples struggled. And we'll see that in this next account in John chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is a famous passage. This is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now it was Passover. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, again, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? This doesn't seem like a big deal, but there's a lot going on here. As soon as I get to that slide, there's a lot going on. Okay. So here's one of the instances where Andrew and Philip are, I think, kind of compared and contrasted, and I think John does that on purpose in his book to kind of show the differences in their personalities because it happens a couple of times. Andrew is a guy who appreciates the value of individuals. Philip, in a previous lesson that I did in my class on Philip, we kind of looked at him throughout Scripture, and we see a guy who was obsessed over the little details. I don't know how many of you I'm going to offend. How many in here are accountants or know or are a spouse of an accountant? <laughs> my wife is an accountant. She's obsessed with the little details. As an account, as a good accountant should be, because you know one. One wrong thing, and the whole thing gets messed up, right? Philip, if he lived today, would probably have been an accountant. He gets obsessed over the little details. And this account here in the scriptures, Jesus, and it's, and Jesus, I think, it seems like, this is, these are one of the times where I think Jesus definitely had a sense of humor and was a fun guy to be around. People just think of him as the guy in these Renaissance paintings with this just somber face all the time, but I'm sure he messed around with his disciples a little bit. Because he knows what he's going to do. Jesus... You know, he's God. He knows what he's going to do. But he goes to Philip, and he goes, what are we going to do, Philip? All these people are coming. What do, you, what do you think we should do? 
And Philip, just being obsessed with these little details, I'm sure, is looking around going, oh my goodness, I don't even know. We can, there's like 5,000 people here, and we've only got this much in the treasury, and we could get wheat loaves, but they're expensive, so let's do barley instead. But oh my goodness, even then it's not going to be enough. And he tells Jesus, oh my Lord, you know, 200 denarii is not enough for these people to eat even a little bit. And a, den a denarius was, the day was a day's wage for the average worker. So Philip is saying that 200 days worth of wages isn't going to be enough to feed all these people. He's stressing out. He's thinking in a limited human sense. But what does Andrew do? Andrew's probably not quite sure what's going to happen, but Andrew at least has the sense to go look in the crowd and find a kid that has a snack his mom probably packed for him and Andrew stole it. Um, <laughs> but Andrew goes and finds a child in the crowd and says, this child has some food. Andrew, I, I just get the feeling that Andrew knows that Jesus, he's been walking with him for a little bit at this point. He knows something special is probably going to happen. And Andrew knows that all I got to do is lead one person to Jesus and something special can happen. So Andrew goes and finds this little boy and he leads him to Jesus this guy's got a little bit of food, Jesus. I don't know if it's going to be enough, but... And I think Andrew just kind of stepped back and said, I'm going to watch you work. And Jesus feeds 5,000 people with this boy's snacks. Kind of a comparing and contrast, I think, between Philip and Andrew. you got Philip, who's obsessed over the little details, and Andrew, who's like, details don't matter, Philip. Let's just find somebody and take him to Jesus. A similar situation happens in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. I don't have it up there, but it's just a quick little passage, and it doesn't seem like a whole lot happens. Sorry, I thought my coffee was falling, and it terrified me a little bit. Mostly that I was going to lose my coffee. Uh, but in that passage, John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22, some Greeks, a couple of Greeks come up to Philip, and they want to meet Jesus. And we don't really know why they came up to Philip. It could be that Philip is a Greek name. All the other disciples may have had Greek names too, but they didn't go by them. Philip goes by his Greek name. It actually means lover of horses. It's kind of a strange name. But they come up to the guy with the Greek name and they want to meet Jesus. And Philip doesn't take him to meet Jesus. Philip takes him to Andrew. And I, looking back at their, their different personalities, I can just imagine the thought process. Because at this point, Jesus hasn't really given instructions on what to do with non-Jews. And bringing them to him. So Philip is probably thinking, oh my goodness, there's not... Philip, I imagine Philip having instruction manuals for everything, like accountants do. Sorry. <laughs> my wife has instruction manuals for everything, and if there's not one, she creates one. Um, amen. <laughs> and he's like, oh, flipping through the pages, and like, oh, Jesus hasn't ever said anything about what to do if Greeks come. I don't know. He's like, so, oh man, what am I going to do? I, you know, does Jesus even want to talk to these people? Is he going to like fry me on the spot if I go up and bring these people to him? He's like, I know what I'll do. I'll take him to Andrew. Because Andrew will take anybody to Jesus. And that way if Jesus is mad, he'll get mad at Andrew, not me. And so he takes him to see Andrew. And right away, Andrew takes him to see Jesus. Doesn't even hesitate. And... We find out later on in the passage that it was the right decision because the Greeks are part of this group of people that Jesus talks to and invites to become his disciples. So Andrew did the right thing. Like I said, whenever we see Andrew on his own, he's doing the right thing. He's an example. Not to say that he didn't ever mess up, but 
Andrew was a guy who had some pretty strong faith and I feel like a pretty close relationship with Christ to know what he needed to do in these situations. Especially now in today's age, I'm sure we've all had in things like this, if you've ever had anybody come up to you and say, you know, I want to know more about Jesus, you're almost caught off guard. You're like, really? You do? Like nobody around wants to hear about Jesus. Oh my goodness. So you're kind of almost caught off guard and don't know what to do. And I feel like, Aunt, like uh, excuse me, Philip was kind of caught off guard. But Andrew doesn't get caught off guard. Andrew knows if somebody wants to meet Jesus, I'm going to take them to meet Jesus. Somebody wants to meet Jesus, Jesus wants to meet them. In fact, it says in John chapter 6, verse 37, I have it up there towards the bottom of the, the thing. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. If you want to go to Jesus, Jesus wants to meet you. We're kind of reminded here by Andrew that the Great Commission isn't just accomplished by great orators, great speakers, by Billy Grahams, right? Marty talked about the Rimsteads that are coming home. They're taking the Great Commission out to, is it, is it Papua New Guinea? Is that correct? And they're not Billy Graham. They're just out there talking with individuals and making connections with individuals. We can make connections with individuals. We don't have to go to another country to do it. We can do it here in our own city. In fact, um, has anybody here ever heard the name Edward Kimball? If you have, I'll be impressed because I had no idea who he was. I only found out who he was because I was preparing for this lesson. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. I'm sure he had a day job, too, during the week, but I don't know what it was. But he was a Sunday school teacher in Boston, Massachusetts. And he felt something on his heart compelled to share the gospel with this young man, a clerk, who worked at a shoe store. And Edward Kimball was not necessarily a really confident gospel-sharing guy. He was on his way walking to the shoe store. He was trying to decide if he was even going to go through with it because surely I'm going to screw up. Surely I'm going to say something that's going to mess this whole thing up. He was, he was so lost in his own thoughts that he just buzzed right past the shoe store. didn't even realize he walked past it. And about five blocks later, he realized he had to turn around and go back. But he did. He worked up the courage and he went back to the shoe store and he went in and found this young man. He was 19 years old. He was a, a clerk who was stacking boxes in the shoe store. And he shared the gospel with him, with this 19-year-old. And if you hear Edward Kimball account, if you hear his account of the story sometime later, he thought he blew it. He thought he stuttered. He thought he messed up his gospel presentation that, oh my goodness, if anybody even listens to me, they're not even ever going to become a Christian because this is so terrible and I did such a horrible job. But that young man accepted Christ right then and there, after Edward Kimball shared the gospel with him. Has anybody ever heard the name D.L. Moody? That young man was D.L. Moody, who would go on to become a great evangelist. Tens of thousands of people credited the ministry of D.L. Moody for them coming to Christ. And then he founded the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois, which has trained thousands of men and women over the years to go out and share the gospel with people. Edward Kimball wasn't Billy Graham, he was an Andrew. He went and shared the gospel with one person. And that one person went and shared the gospel with thousands. We never know. We could be talking to the next D.L. Moody or 
the next Billy Graham and how important our gospel presentation and witness could be to them. Move on to the next slide here, maybe. Okay. Some people always want to play a starring role. Uh, when I was in high school, I was, I was a weird guy. I was a jock, but I also was in drama. Um, and when I was in drama, I always wanted to be, I always wanted to have the starring role. I didn't think it was worth my time to show up if I couldn't be the main character. And when I think back, that probably really irritated everybody else in my class. They're like, who does this guy think he is? He can't play, a, he can play a tree. You know, he doesn't have to be Romeo. Um, but I never played Romeo, but just as an example. James and John and Peter had that tendency. They always wanted to be the star, right? They reprimand people who try to do things without their approval. Peter at one point even reprimands Jesus, which, oh my goodness, that's brave. And then Jesus chews him out. Um, lucky he probably didn't get his brain fried. But they engaged in debates as to who would be the greatest. Andrew didn't care. Andrew wasn't interested in things like that. He's a model of someone that, like, the Apostle Paul refers to in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 6. He was someone who, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That's what Andrew cared about. He didn't care about being the star. In fact, Jesus, and this is a common theme among all of his disciples and his messages to his disciples throughout his ministry on earth, Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, if any man desire to be first, the same, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to be a leader, sorry, I'm going to humble you and you're not going to succeed. I think Jesus is just telling his disciples, if you want to be a leader, a true leader is a servant. A true leader is somebody who is willing to serve others. There's actually a, um, a great book out there, and I'm really trying to think of the author's name, but it's a good book that has a lot of information. It's called Jesus on Leadership you want to look it up, and it's about being a leader through being a servant. Really good book. As far as we know, Andrew never preached a sermon, never spoke to great crowds or multitudes like his brother did and like some of his other uh, friends who were disciples did. In fact, in the book of Acts, after the day of Pentecost, we never hear about Andrew again. We hear about Peter and John and James a little bit, but we never hear about Andrew. Andrew is, becomes, his story drifts away in scripture. But we do know a little bit out of church history and tradition, which obviously isn't scripture, so it shouldn't carry the same authority as the Bible, but it is interesting, and we do have some sources that talk about him. Tradition says that when, after Pentecost, Andrew took the gospel north. There is an ancient church historian named Eusebius who said that he went as far as Scythia, which would be in modern-day Russia. In fact, Andrew is considered the patron saint of Russia. He's also the patron saint of Scotland, St. Andrew's Golf Course, where they play the British Open sometimes. Uh, we actually went, my wife and I were part of a group from the church that went to Scotland this past summer on a mission trip, and, uh, which was an interesting experience. But... There are so many things there named after Andrew. It's crazy. He's also the patron saint of Scotland. Like all the other apostles except for John, he was martyred for his faith in Christ. John, we're pretty sure, died of old age. 
sometime later in his 90s in Ephesus, where he had been a pastor. But the story of Andrew goes is that he led the wife of a Roman governor to Christ, and this was in the city of Achaia in southern Greece near Athens. He left a wife of a Roman, led a wife of a Roman governor to Christ, and the Roman governor was furious. Back then, actually, the Romans, many Romans actually considered the Christians to be atheists, if you'll believe that or not, because Christians didn't worship idols. You couldn't see their God, so their God must not exist, so they're atheists. The governor was furious and demanded that his wife recant her faith. His wife refused, said, no, I found my Savior, it's Jesus Christ, and I will not renounce my faith. And so in response, the governor had the man who led his wife to Christ killed, Andrew. He was crucified on what is believed to be an X-shaped cross, similar to that sculpture right there. It's also called a saltier. So his hands would have been up here and his legs down there, kind of spread out in an X formation. He wasn't nailed to the cross. According to tradition, he was lashed to the cross with ropes or leather straps, and he was left there to die by dehydration and exposure to the elements. Many accounts say that he hung there for two days, succumbing to the environment, succumbing to dehydration. But for two days, Andrew wasn't screaming in pain. He wasn't woeful for his circumstance. He was pleading people who walked by to turn to Christ. Even as he died, Andrew acted like he lived. He wanted to lead individual people to Jesus. He wasn't going to be a great speaker like Peter, but that didn't matter to Andrew. Andrew knew his job as a follower of Christ was to fulfill the Great Commission and to lead as many people as he could that he came into contact with to Jesus. And I think his legacy is an example of us remembering small things count. Individual people count. Edward Kimball knew individual people counted, and he shared the gospel with a young man who was D.L. Moody, who saved, helped save thousands, bring thousands to salvation in Christ. And I think that the, sometimes in my class they, that I teach this in, uh, they ask me why I talk about how the apostles died. They think it's kind of morbid sometimes, and like they don't really want to hear about it. It's kind of depressing. But I think it's important for us to know um, as much as we can. We only know for sure in Scripture how one of the apostles died, James. It says he died by the sword, which probably means he was beheaded. But I think it's important because these men were the ones who walked and talked with Jesus. They spent three years with him in his earthly ministry. They believed, they watched him die, and they saw him risen again. And then they saw him ascend into heaven. And they believed in this so much that they were willing to die horrible, violent deaths in the name of Jesus. If it was all a big practical joke or a hoax, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be willing to go through what some of them went through. So I think how they were martyred is a testimony to their faith in Christ and is a testimony to their witness, that they witnessed something pretty special. They witnessed something pretty amazing, and they were willing to die for it. 
Manna meets at Valley Baptist Church at 4800 Fruitvale Avenue in Bakersfield, California every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. in the choir room. We would love for you to join us. Here at Manna, we believe in doing life together. So if you're in need of prayer, submit your request to Podcast at gmail.com and our class will be happy to pray for you. Thank you for joining us today. And now that you know, do.